Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie gaming, and to give you some tips and tricks for your journey into game development. Today I will be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting live from the Midwest, United States. And I'll be the sick co-host. I mean, sick as in bulls, I'm a sick person and I'm literally sick right now. Ian. And then we have a guest today, which is... This is your cue. Uh, me. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm Kyle Pulver, and I'm an independent game developer. Uh, I guess I'm I'm coming from Arizona this fine morning. So, uh, That's right about after- it. <laughs> so right after this short little music break, we will get into our news. So, I got a new laptop since the last broadcast, so I'm still trying to figure out how everything works on this, so there might be a few mishaps here and there, it's really strange. But anyway, so before we get into the actual news, uh, Indie Function just got out of hiatus, this is our first broadcast in 2013, and we have some announcements on stuff that we've launched and relaunched. And uh, so for our launches, we have launched the Indie Forums, which is obviously just the forums, uh, pretty much brought to you by us. We have uh, news on there. Uh, you can talk about our magazine, our radio show. Uh, there's tutorials up on there. You can talk Promote about your own work. Or what was that? Promote your own work. Oh, yeah, promote your own work. Uh, ask for team requests and advertise your games. Uh, right now, we only have a dozen members, but hopefully, as time goes on, we can get some more members on there. So, um, obviously, we can get some good conversation going on there. Then, the second project that we have launched is Indie Bulletin, which is our own news blog. Uh, considering we are a source of indie news, we thought, why not start a blog? So, we basically filter through all the indie articles that we find over uh, the week and bring you the best ones in our opinion. Um, We have all sorts of stuff on there ranging from interviews to reviews to game launches, uh, tool sets and libraries, changes, additions, bundles, you name it, it's on there. Alright, and then Ian, you can take the next few. Alright, well, then we've got Indie Books, which is currently working on a Flashpoint book that's, I think, just bred at the moment, but we're trying to find people who will be willing to help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just a guide to object-oriented programming in general, and trying to get some game projects and other things in there to help you get started. Uh, you can donate if you would be so generous. Um and, of course, like I said, we're still looking for someone else to help write that. Mm-hmm. We yeah, also we have video them. tutorials that have just started up. Uh, Brett did the first one on Action Script 3 Game Development. It's available on our YouTube channel. 
and there's supposed to be an indie bulletin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we we're hoping the first ten or maybe twelve videos will be about programming in ActionScript three, uh, teaching you some basic object-oriented programming stuff. And then after that, we'll start actually working with Flashpunk, and we'll start working on just making a simple interactive program. I wouldn't even call it a game, but around, let's say, 20 or so, we would actually start working on a game, you know, something simple, and we'll walk you through making a game with Flashpunk and teach you some cool tips and tricks that, um, you know, Flashpunk has. Uh, if you... You've used Flashpunk, right, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I primarily work in Flashpunk right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great library, and I thought it would be a good place to start, since there's a lot of developers that have been using it, and uh, Flash is a very popular... Well, it's pretty much the most popular uh, way of putting your game on the internet right now, so... Yeah. Right, and then after that, rest in peace, XNA. XNA <laughs> has been... Um, well, rest in peace. Uh, that might be a bit much. But basically, it's been officially discontinued. <laughs> no, I think that's accurate. Or what was that? I, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Uh, obviously, XNA is a development tool set used to develop Windows, Xbox 360, and Windows Phone games. And it has been officially brought out of... <clears throat> Jeez, I can't talk today. It's been brought out of development. Alright? Um, in the last year, no new updates have been released, and some developers saw it coming. But it is officially... Right, uh, Dominique Lewis from Mono Games says Microsoft have essentially turned their backs on 10,000 developers on one of the most promising gaming APIs available today. And, uh, you know, XNA was launched in 2006, I believe, after its announcement at GDC 2005. And uh, it is disappointing to see that Windows uh, stopping development. Ooh, that's a typo that should say Microsoft. Um, but. You know, obviously you can still use it to develop micro, or Xbox 360, Windows, and uh, Windows Phone games. But we'll probably be seeing a different tool set for the next Xbox console. Which, you know, there's a bunch of rumors going around about that right now. We could talk about that all day. But Oh, but what about the uh, fake one that the guy did just to point out how flawed the media is? That was great. <laughs> Alright. But uh, Model Game will continue to support the toolset and the XNA developers. Now you can go, Ian. On a lighter note, Construct 2 is now on Steam. Construct 2, which is the very popular game creation tool from Sierra, um, and now supports many different export options, uh, HTML5 among those, is now available for... Like Game Maker Studio recently was made available to uh, produce on... Well, uh, no, I can't talk right now today either. <laughs> um, to make games on uh, Steam, everything release them on Steam. There's now the community for Construct 2 on Steam as well. Uh, there's still the three versions of Construct 2, uh, free, personal, and business. Uh, and yeah, so the free version is just limited and restricts commercial use, but you can still go ahead and try it out for free at Sierra.com. And yeah. All right, and he brought up Game Maker, which brings us perfectly into our next topic, the Game Maker Affiliates program has ended. What the Game Maker Affiliates program was, was a affiliates program, well, obviously by the title, that was brought to you by GameMakerBlog.com, 
and basically what it was is you put a little banner, 88 by 31 pixels or whatever, into the service with a link, and then people that are part of the service put up the the banner up on their site, and it randomly generates one. And, you know, they had a few thousand people uh, using the service, so, you know, you put it up on your site, you put yours in, and then your site will show up on other people's sites sometimes. Pretty simple to understand. But, um, it was ended by True Bahala, the current GameMaker blog owner, due to flaws and security issues. Since it was programmed by Philip, the previous owner, he feels unable to improve or fix the service to stop the abuse from users. Abuse included exploits to the free service as well as people who promoted non-GM websites and advertisements through the program. Uh, and then he did say that he's hoping that somebody will start a better service. You know, it doesn't have all those flaws and everything, but only time will tell if somebody will. Alright, so Samsung and Chiligo set up the 100% Indie program, and it's basically for mobile game development. It launches March 4th, which is in one, two, about two and a half weeks. Uh, the program, created by Samsung and the game publisher uh, Chiligo, which was recently acquired by EA, hopes to bring light to the indie developers by growing in popularity and helping them get in touch with the people who play their games on the go. So basically with this program, you submit your game to Samsung, and they put it up on their special app store and for the first six months you make all the money profits what was that all the money all the money right and then after <laughs> six months samsung gets 10 percent of your profits so that's not too bad uh after a while it grows to 20 percent but if you look at it compared to google play and the app store or apple app store uh they take 30 percent so it's still a better deal and they don't make you just specifically make it exclusive to their um, program. You can submit it to as many development, um, not development, but portals as you want. So you can put it on any platform and Samsung won't get mad at you. So it's a pretty good deal. Um, how do you feel about it, Kyle? Uh, so where does Trilingo come into it? Do they take a cut? Uh, I don't think so. They're just Samsung. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty cool to do like a, like I guess like a sliding scale that lets people make the most money from their launch. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know enough about like the mobile space to really, really like have a super informed opinion about it. <laughs> gotcha. All right, and then our next topic is the oh yeah. Take it from here, Ian. Well. It's now been released on Amazon and GameStop, and I believe it was Target and Walmart or something as well. Um, point being, the VR is now available for pre-order from these other services as opposed to just exclusively from their website. So that kind of fits in perfectly with the whole thing before of how Samsung isn't requiring you to be exclusive over there. Uh, now you can get the Ouya from, I guess, one of your preferred services if you enjoy one of this sounds really stupid now. Okay, anyways, you can get the Ouya from uh, Amazon and these other places, and um, <clears throat> you can also order a controller. The console is still just $100, and uh, you get free shipping if you go to the right place. 
So, and then they also have pre-orders on the controller up on the site, which is actually 50 bucks. So let's let's do the math. All right, $100 console and a $50 controller. That means that half the money that you pay for the console is just for the controller. $50 console. That's that's really cheap. Like I I'm questioning how they're even making money off of it. You know. I mean they, they must be getting the parts for pretty cheap. I, I think part of the thing is, well yeah, it's really cheap because it's essentially mobile parts, but also I don't think the controller they're trying to make more of a profit off of because they probably made such a little profit off the console itself. Because mm, hundred dollars for a console is probably giving them hardly any profit. But then the controller they realize that oh when people are buying this other controllers we never set a price on that, so we can still raise it more. And so that's probably what's going on there. So the console is probably closer seventy or eighty dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, Valentine's Day was this week, so they had the lovers bundle on uh, indie or the game music bundle. And uh, the game music bundle, as the name implies, gives you soundtracks from indie games, and I believe they even had one that wasn't with indie games, but don't quote me on that. So if you pay at least a dollar, you get the six Bit.Trip soundtracks from the original games. You put in an extra nine dollars, totaling ten dollars, and you get the Runner 2 game, which actually doesn't come out till February 26th. And then, if you pay twenty dollars, you unlock the Runner 2 soundtrack. And you got the, that totally backwards. Oh, but, did I? Okay. Yeah, you get the soundtrack for ten dollars. You get the game for twenty dollars. Ah, I see. Oops. It makes a little more sense. <laughs> yeah. I was like saying, it, I'm like, wait, why did they do it that way? Okay, but uh, if you are the top contributor, you you get a Commander Video McQuit. Is that how you say that? McQuit. McQuit. I don't know. McQuit. It's, it's odd. <laughs> Kyle, do you speak French? I think that's French. <laughs> Who uses that word? It it's a statue, people. Rude. You get a statue of Commander Video. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, along with him and the four other top contributors, you get a poster of Runner 2, and the top ten contributors get a bit.trip t-shirt. Alright, so head over to gamemusicbundle.com if you want to pick up your soundtracks games and maquettes. Ma- Ma- yeah. Statue. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Ian, this is the part where you talk. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just making sure I have the right next news item. So next we have the Valentine's Bundle 2.0 from Indie Royale. Um, so the current MMM is, well, it's not quite $6, it's five ninety nine. dollars uh, If you pay $8 or more, you get an album and... It includes Serious Sam 3, BFE, and five other games, which I have never heard of, sadly. Yeah, they have pretty interesting names. Shadow, Ozai, Earth Adventure, Yundedai, Divitsi. Yeah, those are some pretty weird names. And that's Shadow with four R's. No, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) It is Shadow with an apostrophe O as opposed to just O-W at the end, so that's kind of curious. And as usual, most of the games are available for Windows. Um, all of them are. And then 
Uh, Serious Sam 3 is for Steam, along with Dot Clock. And the rest of the games are available on Desura. Shadow's available on Steam, too. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Gosh. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so the Indiegala Colossus Bundle is the third bundle this week that launched on Valentine's Day. Feeling the love yet? Alright, and they have Subversion City Generator, Voxel Destruction, 7.62mm, Talisman Prologue, which we did a review on on Indie Bulletin. That's actually a really fun game. It's based off of a board game that uh, I believe was popular during the 80s, and they turned it into an interactive game, and the graphics are absolutely amazing, I, and it, I don't know, it was just really fun. And then they also have Darwinia. If you pay over the average of $5.64, you unlock the bonuses, which are Multiwinia, Defcon, Uplink, Hearts of Iron 3, Demigod, and another game which is currently hidden, along with two soundtracks. And as always, you can divide your money between developers, uh, the Indie Gala people, Able Gamers, and the Gala Project X, which, what, I don't even know what that is. Do you, Ian? No. To Google! <laughs> Alright, so the Gala Project X. Can't find anything on it. It just links me back to the Indiegala website. Maybe it's all a secret. Project X. I mean, it has X. Yeah, exactly. Project X. Come on, that doesn't sound uh, like something you're supposed Gala to know about. Project X. Part of your contribution can be donated to support Gala Project X, the new exciting video game project, entirely backed by Indiegala. Updates will follow soon. That still doesn't give you any information. Exactly, because it's Project X. How often is something named Project X something that they tell you about? But why would you donate your money if you don't even know what it is? For all we know, it could be... Well, you're like still getting these other games. Money. Some people are optimistic, okay? I suppose. Alright, have you seen any other indie updates lately, Kyle? Because that's about all that we found that was interesting. Uh... I don't know, man. That's a lot of stuff. I think... Yeah, yeah I think that about covers it. <laughs> um, I can think of one other. Uh, there's been some eugenic updates. Um, they put out their 16th week of updates. They, Yeah, it was announced four months ago, believe it or not. And uh, it's their final update before they release a trailer next week. So uh, in our next broadcast, we'll make oh, wow. sure to talk about that. I'm pretty excited. There was something about Catfight today, and it pretty much yeah. looked like Mortal Kombat, except with cats. Oh my god. So I'll check that out on edmundm.com, which is Edmund, Edmund McMillan's blog. I've never stumbled on his name before. <laughs> so, after right, this... So we... Or what was that? Go ahead. Alright. <laughs> after first. this short little music break, we will get to our interview with Kyle Fulton.
my god. This computer hates me. I swear to god. <laughs> I turn up it the volume, it sounds all distorted, then it plays the next thing, and... Ah. See, because I'm using VLC Media Player now, and I'm used to uh, Windows Media Player, so it keeps screwing with me. I'm going to have fun editing this one, I know that. <laughs> Alright, so for our interview, we have Kyle Pulver, creator of Offspring Fling, Juttobots, among other projects, which you can find at kpulv.com. Although uh, those are pretty much the two that I know him for. And most people know you for. So, uh, Kyle, you want to give us a little background on, you know, who you are, what got you into making games? Just a little summary. Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. So, I started making games with uh, Click and Play, like, way back in the late 90s, probably. Oh, geez, uh, century. And I was just messing around and, like, huh? I said, oh, geez, the last century. Oh. <laughs> yeah um so yeah i started like trying to make games when i was really young um i didn't actually start to finish games until uh like 2007 when i released uh bonesaw the game and that was like my first like uh i guess real game if you want to call it that um then uh after that i did a couple games i did uh i did a game called depict one which a lot of people might know uh it got game of the year on newgrounds a couple years ago um, uh, Offspring Fling, yeah, that's my most recent, like, big release. I also worked on Snapshot, which came out, uh, this past August on PC and now on Mac and Linux. Um, uh, and a couple of small games. I've been releasing just, like, uh, like, a few small games here and there this past year, um, and trying to get one more done before GDC. Ooh, do we know a little bit more about this small game? Uh, it's, so it's, it's a game I started at Global Game Jam okay. in January, uh, and I'm basically just trying to make, uh, a decent, uh, like, Metroidvania. Like, Jato Boss is, like, a miniature Metroidvania, it's, like, a five-minute game, but, uh, I want to make, like, a slightly larger one, because I'm, I'm slowly building up to this, like, grand game that I want to make, so I want to, like, make small games that incorporate the skills and, uh... I guess, sort of programming know-how that I'll need to make the large game. So, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Sounds pretty exciting. Uh, so, how was the Global Game Jam? I didn't get to attend this year. Uh, it was awesome. I, I really like just game jams in general. And there's actually a pretty awesome community of people that jam in Phoenix uh, down at uh, University of Advanced Technology. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we have, we have a pretty awesome local scene here. Uh, Global Game Jam was actually like the largest jam that we ever had at uh, UAT. So we had like we had like a hundred something people registered, and we ended up being like in the top twenty or so of like the largest venues of Global Game Jam. So that was pretty exciting. Yeah, who all is down there? Because I know there's you, Steve uh, Swink. Uh, who, yeah, who so I. Let's see. There. Okay, so I live with Steve and Aaron Robinson and uh, my girlfriend Corey Nolan, uh, who will be an indie at some point soon. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, we're getting Michael Todd in from Toronto. I think uh, he's he's coming to Arizona. Um, 
So then we, then we have Matthew Wegner and Ben Reese. They are former, or I guess they're still Flashbang Studios, but they're now Team Colorblind, and they're working on a game called Aztez. Uh, we have, uh, let's see, we have a lot of hobbyists. Uh, we've got a guy named Tim Winsky, who used to be a part of like the uh, the old Click and Play community. Um, I think he made a game called The Adventures of the Retarded Goat back in the day, uh, and now he's working on iPhone games. Um, uh, I'm gonna feel really bad if I forget people. <laughs> but oh, there's that one guy think uh, at a, uh, at a with, glance with the hair. Yeah, that guy. Oh, in the face. Yeah, yeah, he makes that game. He's making that game for that thing. Oh, with you the, know, the one drive? platform. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I missed him last time. Yeah. Uh, so. Hmm. We haven't really gotten any questions in our Twitter yet, so people listening in, send us your questions. Uh, Kyle's on or on the IRC! Person. Yeah, or on our IRC. And uh, we actually have our IRC right on the radio page right now, so if you're listening in via IndieFunction.com slash radio, you can actually just scroll a bit down and click on uh, username, type in a username, press connect, and you'll be right in our IRC. Which you can uh, chat Optimized with me. Optimized for laziness. <laughs> you can chat with me, Ian, and of course <laughs> Kyle. Yes, optimize for laziness, as Ian said. Alright, so, um, hmm. Ian, where should we go next with our interview? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Also, I'm pretty sure there's terrible distortion on the radio right now. Gotta love slow internet. Uh oh. <laughs> Alright, I'll just close out of like everything that exists in my. I'll just close out the world. Yeah. Here, <laughs> this will help internet speeds. Let's just close out of the internet, too. Um, how did you get the idea to start making Offspring Fling? Like the story and everything, just kind of. Yeah, um, so, but actually, the original, uh, uh, I guess, prototype of the game came out of a game jam that took place uh, during Mother's Day, like a couple of years ago now. I think it was Mother's Day 2011. Yeah, that sounds right, I think. Yeah, so it was just like a game jam where the theme was just motherhood for the for the sake of the holiday, and uh, I thought it would be fun to make a game where you, you're trying to like save your kids, and then... Uh, and then somehow during the course of the game jam, I added in the mechanic of throwing them around. And then, uh, that was pretty much like the moment of like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty fun. And <laughs> I can make a full game out of this probably. So yeah, it, it started as a game jam game. And I just worked on it for like nine months after that. So you just randomly thought, what if the mother could throw her children around? Cause... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't completely random. It was, it was like... I, I set up, like, the game to the point where I had, like, a bunch of boxes moving around the screen, and I could pick up, like, the small boxes, and those were the kids. And then uh, as I was, like, trying to look at, like, what kind of puzzles I could make, uh, I was like, oh, I could probably make a lot more interesting puzzles if you could just, like, throw the kids across the screen, um, and they could, like, fly in a straight line. Uh, so I just added that in. like, And that's pretty much how I always make games, is that like I just like make a little bit of it, and I play with it, and then I see like what kind of idea naturally bubbles up in my head, and I just kind of pursue that. I think everyone secretly wants to throw around children sometimes, so it's 
it's fine. I yeah, was... a lot of people, it's, it's a very big stress reliever game. <laughs> I, I was expecting him to say, it wasn't completely random. I mean, I was just trying to pull stuff from my childhood and put it into the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, draw from my own experiences. Uh, so, snap... No, I, I never got tossed to that. Uh, snapshot. I almost said Snapchat. That would have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Snapshot. Um, I saw it up on your site, and I thought it looked kind of interesting. What exactly is Snapshot about? Uh, so Snapshot, it's uh, a puzzle platformer game where you uh, have the ability to take photos of like parts of the screen. And when you take a photo of something, it's absorbed into the photograph, and then you can uh, paste it back into the world or like wherever you want, essentially. Um, and when you when you paste something back into the world, it comes back with the same properties it had when you took the photo. So if you take a picture of a uh, like a crate that's been launched across the screen, um, all of its like physics properties, like so, its like velocity and its like rotation and all that kind of stuff will be preserved. So if you paste the the box now somewhere else, it'll fly out of the photo the same way it came in. Um, so it's just like. That's like the main mechanic, and then the entire game is just uh, using the mechanic in different ways over the course of a bunch of levels, and like you know, just increasing the challenge and increasing the complexity of the use of the mechanic and all that good stuff. That's pretty much it. That sounds like a nightmare. So yet again, something I would love to do in real life. <laughs> oh, awkward silence. Right. Oh yeah. So, how the best exactly? Kind of silence. Ian, listen, when, when I talk, yes. you don't talk, and when you talk, I don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> we just keep overlapping each other. It'll be perfectly quiet, and then we both start talking at the same time. It's like, really? All right. Um, so what exactly is your method of coming up with puzzles when you're designing games? Oh, man, that's a crazy question. Uh, gotta love crazy. I... <laughs> So, for Offspring Fling, at least, uh, I, like, the first, the first, like, couple weeks after the game jam, I just tried to add, uh, like, add different elements to the game. Like, there's, like, a couple different enemies, and then there's, like, some switches and blocks and some, like, deflector pads that will, like, change the direction of the, the babies that you can throw, and then, like, there's different stuff that you can throw It's not the babies, um, and so when I had a bunch of, like, when I had a bunch of, like, uh, stuff in the game. I made a list of like everything in the game, and I just tried to sort of pick random things out of the list and make a level out of it. So I was like, oh, like this level will have a switch block, the like the basic walking enemy, and a deflector pad. So like, how can I arrange these things to be interesting? Um, and I, I tried I tried to base every level off of like a cool idea of like some interaction. Uh, so it's like, oh, if you throw a rock instead of a baby, like the rock can hit the switch and then fall into the acid and that's fine. But if a baby falls into the acid, then it's game over, obviously. Um, so it's like setting up a level where it's a cool interaction and the player has to make the right choice and they kind of have to, like the player has to have enough foresight to understand what's going to happen. And that's why I made the babies fly straight line every time. And so that you can, you can just like draw a line 
like across the screen and understand that the baby will always like take that path. So you can kind of look ahead and be like, okay, if I throw the baby now, then it'll fall into like the enemy's clutches. But if I throw it after I hit the switch, then it'll be fine. So I need to hit the switch first, but then how do I do that? And then it's, it's sort of just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, hopefully that answers some part of the question. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I didn't play too far into Offspring Fling. I played a little bit after uh, you get introduced to the enemies. I, I don't remember how it's divided. I think it was like the fourth stage or something. Not stage, but like fourth. Yeah, it's almost after. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I just... I liked how you did the puzzles, because, you know, some games make you think, some games give you headaches, and some games are puzzle games that are like, okay, I'm just jumping around mindlessly, this is really, really easy. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Ian just said that we're having some really bad issues with internet quality. Um, it's white noise, that's not just a... <laughs> <laughs> I tried to listen to the live feed to see because someone said it was bad earlier. All right, and so let's try reconnecting. Okay, it's trying to reconnect. One thousand miles. Welcome to one thousand miles. To begin your trans, you are now live on air. All right. Uh, hopefully that fixed things. Obviously, you can listen to it in the archived version, but it's so nice to be able to understand what we're saying live. That's uh, true. Alright. Is it any better now, do you know? Well, it's not white noise now, but you sound like a bee. Oh, lovely. Alright, I honestly don't know how to fix this. How many times have we done this, Ian? This is our 36th time well, broadcasting. You know. <laughs> you think after two years you'd be before. able to figure out a simple prog problem. <laughs> All right. It was actually just because of the trajectory of the microphone and the position of the sun. <laughs> and the phase of the moon. Yep. <laughs> phase of the moon, of course. I know how that goes. All that came to mind oh, wait, was... So uh, I guess it's just going to archive now. <laughs> we did it again. Shit. <laughs> all that came to mind was the uh, scene in the Avengers where Loki tries taking over Tony Stark's body. And he's like, go oh, uh, performance <laughs> issues, you know, one out of five times. <laughs> have you seen the Avengers, Kyle? I have. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, back on topic, we're talking about games. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. I love games. So, obviously, you do a bit more other than games. Uh, I see you have some design and imagery on your site. So, yeah. Uh, what inspires you to draw all these different things? Because I, I absolutely love your characters. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know, I guess I'm, like, like a sort of, like, a, I just want to have some sort of, like, creator output most of the time, and that's what kind of drove me into games, but, like, as far as, like, drawing stuff goes, um, 
I always tried to draw stuff when I was super young. Um, and then I got a lot of anime influence. So like a lot of my, a lot of my drawing style is super anime influence style. Um, and as far as like the design stuff goes, I do web design on the side. I haven't done that much, uh, over the past year just because of like game projects being so, uh, so, um, heavy. And as far as like their time commitment goes, um, but way back in the day, like a couple of years ago, uh, like how I sustained myself through doing web work. So I was doing like, uh, just like web contracting and then I would do games on the side. And now I've gotten to the point, uh, right now where like I can do games full time. So I haven't done web stuff in a, in a long time. Yeah, so I was looking through, you've done uh, websites for the Tick Jam mm -hmm. and uh, some other sites. So, how long have you been doing sites now? Uh, I started, well, it's, it's another one of those things where it's like, I started to do it when I was super young, uh, when I was a kid, just messing around with HTML and uh, like PaintShop Pro or whatever software was available back then. Um uh, I started doing, I started doing it more professionally probably in 2005, 2006 when I was in college. Uh, and that's pretty much how I made money when I was in college. I just did some web contracting. And I, I even worked for my university for a while doing websites. Um, and then just random, like whoever needed a site and found my name and emailed me. Uh, that's pretty much how I got any sort of web work. So what programs do you use for design? Uh, both. so I use Photoshop a lot. What's that? Well, I was just going to say both, you know, websites and just your typical drawing stuff. Oh, yeah. So I do all, I do everything in Photoshop as far as art goes. Like if I'm doing a website, like I do like the entire, the entire mock-up of the site in Photoshop. And if I'm just like sketching or doodling or whatever, then it's, it's usually in Photoshop as well. Um, it's just what I'm most familiar with. Uh, and then as far as, like, code goes for websites, uh, I used to use Dreamweaver. Uh, and then I moved on to something called uh, NewSphere PHP Editor. And that was for, like, my more hardcore PHP uh, coding stuff. And uh, I still use that sometimes. And then outside of that, I just use uh, Sublime Text 2 yes. for, like, general purpose. Yeah, like, this thing, this program is amazing. I, I'm starting to use it for everything. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it has amazing features. My favorite, though, is being able to have multiple cursors at once. Yeah, exactly. The multiple selections. <laughs> that is the thing that convinces most people about it. It's like, like, oh, I need to edit this big XML file. I need to replace all these numbers. It's like, okay, let's select them all and <laughs> select like 300 different places. And yeah. <laughs> I also like the uh, multiple views in the files and things now. So, yeah. I like using it in a public place, like at school or something, and people will be watching me and they'll be like, how do you have so many cursors? What, what are you doing? <laughs> it's an acquired skill, actually. After, yeah, years of, after years of practice, I can now yeah. <laughs> my five cursors at once. <laughs> so... Yeah, even just having the little like thumbnail view, like the little scroll area mm -hmm. of like, I, like I zoomed out. Like when yeah, I first saw that, thing, that's... yeah, when, when I first saw that, I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Why would I ever want that? And now every day I'm just like, oh my god, that's never. <laughs> I need to go over here. Oh, <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's nice unless like you're a super sloppy programmer and have no sense of like how to format it, so it just looks like a bunch of gibberish, <laughs> and you're like, uh. 
Is it that blob or that blob? Yeah. Well, it looks the same. Um, we should probably ask another question before yeah. we're just talking about Sublime Text 2. <laughs> hey. Sponsored by Sublime Text 2. <laughs> Buy it now at sublimetext.com. Or have the free trial. <laughs> the free trial that never expires. <laughs> yeah, it's like WinZip. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Right. Uh, so Kyle, when you first started making games, did you ever aim to be this big, be uh, get interviews and be on the <laughs> Humble Bundle and all sorts of stuff? Oh yeah. Hum- well, Humble Bundle is mind blowing to me. So uh, I honestly had no idea when, like, um, when I when I was trying to make games as a, as a kid, I thought that like my, my my plan was to be like, okay, well, I guess I'll I'll try to get good at doing websites because that seems like I can get a job doing that. And so my plan was to get a job at some like design firm place where they just make websites all the time and then do games on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then somehow like the opposite happened where it's like now I do games full time and sometimes I do websites on the side. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what, what was going to happen. And I still have no idea what will happen like, you know, a couple of years from now. Like if anyone were to tell me like, oh yeah, that game you made at a game jam, that'll be in a humble bundle. I'll be like, yeah, right. Like, why would I ever be now? <laughs> yeah, so uh, what's uh, you're going to win, like, on... the 2010 Game of the Year award, even though it's two years later. Yeah. It happened. What? What was that? Oh, I said, uh, somebody's going to come up to you and just be like, yeah, you won the 2010 Game of the Year, even though it's three years later. <laughs> uh, what's it like on the the developer side of the Humble Bundle? Because I've kind of always wondered how you get your payments and things like that. Is it like at the end of the bundle, they just give you all the uh, proceeds that you got or whatever, or how does that work out? Um, so I'm totally not sure what I'm allowed to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or what I'm not allowed to say, so I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> um, uh, but as far as, like, developer side goes, it's, like, really, really smooth. Um, it's just, like, because I, I, uh, I pitched them on Offspring Fling being in the bundle. I was just like, hey, so Offspring Fling got really good reviews, and I can make a Linux version. And they're like, okay. And then um, <laughs> kind of went from there. And I was, like, I was like always really surprised that they were just like, yeah, sure, we'll put it in the next one. And I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I kept waiting, I kept waiting for them to be like, "Oh yeah, sorry, uh, you know, we're gonna actually like, replace your game or whatever." <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It, it was really, it, it still feels surreal right now to like. Cause I take like, a screenshot of like the last, uh, the, like the final numbers and stuff, just so I'd always have like the, the humble bundle page with my games on it. I mean, I, yeah, just even looking at it, it's just like, oh my god, I can't believe that, uh, like I was involved with this. Yeah, because even your games on Wikipedia, bro. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what do I have to do for a Wikipedia page? That's what I want. That's what I want to know. Well, does it have its own individual Wikipedia page? I don't think so. Right. Probably does. Google time. <laughs> Wikipedia.org. Oh, yeah, you can use Chrome Sounder Bar, my bad. Okay, let's see. <laughs> yeah, that would work better. I'm not getting relevant results. <laughs> Yeah, you just go straight to the Humble Bundle page because they have every single game sure on there. Thing. 
Uh, no, but there's the uh, Humble Bundle includes a thing about it on its uh, Wikipedia page, apparently. Wow, they're kind of, uh, like, they hate you, man. Wikipedia hates yeah. you. They're always trying to keep me down, you know? I was just trying to be happy again. Because <laughs> every game has a page except Offspring, Fling, and Snapshot. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's a conspiracy against me. <laughs> the page was there, but then the moderators removed it. Yeah, yeah. it's not not notable or whatever. It Ouch. was there, but since, you, since you started talking about your involvement with the Humble Bundle on the radio, like they heard you and just took the pages out. Yeah, nice. They heard we were about to search for it. They're gonna yeah. bomb us in a little bit. So everyone listening, when we go off air, if you can even understand this, <laughs> I think it's white noise again. Last I checked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's white noise right now, Brent. It's gonna be like 700 live listeners. Nobody could hear a damn thing. No one knows what the fuck you were saying, but. <sighs> well, they're just trying to—they're trying to, do, to uh, decipher it. It makes it more sense. <laughs> they think it's actually just a code, and we're challenging. Yeah, them. Um, yeah, it's like a—it's like a weird contest. So <laughs> yeah, you gotta put it through all the Fez sound editors, like. You know, we're not releasing the archive broadcast. You have to decipher the sound file. Yeah. <laughs> More like. <bzzz. laughs> what do you guys? What do you guys use this to stream for the radio stuff? Uh, one thousand mics. It's just a website that you stream it through. We've never had problems. With I'm sorry. I think we should look into uh, other services. You guys should, like uh, if you just go like you should just use like Twitch or something, right? Like. Because I mean. If there's no video, I'd say it would be, I don't know, it'd be kind of weird. Uh, well, you can just put, like, okay, so, like, Twitch would have the chat, you know? So you can just, like, uh, you can just put the chat window as the as the video. So it's, like, people that chat during the... Oh, uh, oh yeah, so then, and then, because then you can uh, keep the recorded broadcast there, too, right? So Yeah, yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. Huh. I actually never thought about that. I've always considered Twitch to be, like, just watching games and watching people play games or develop them or yeah. yeah but yeah there's lots of there's lots of like podcast stuff that people do on there um so yeah i've done one or two but nobody's ever watched them and they kind of suck you guys watch watch me make an mmorpg man. <laughs> that's that's always kind of the one i i hear that you know with the whole someone's just starting off making games so i'm gonna make this awesome mmo and it's just uh were you like that too, Kyle? <laughs> what's that were you like that too when you first started oh, uh gonna... well you know mmos didn't really exist that much when i started so it was more like uh it, like my main inspiration is just super nintendo games if it's oh. the, if that's not obvious <laughs> that's <laughs> Love those. There were no MMOs for the Super Nintendo, so what? it was more like it was more like I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Super Metroid is pretty much what I started out with, and then uh, I'm still building up to being able to make Super Metroid like 15 years later. So <laughs> life goal. <laughs> what are you gonna do after you make it? You're just gonna sit there and be like, oh. I'm done. Yeah, I'll just be like, well, that was fun. I guess I'll go do something else now. <laughs> Just be completely complacent. Yeah, I'll just move to some weird, uh, like, you know, <laughs> middle of, like, the mountains, kind of countryside. <laughs> and everything, all right. Yeah, I'll just never, you'll just, like, I'll just disappear from the internet. Like, <laughs> like yep, mission accomplished. 
Remember that one guy, Kyle Bulger? Yeah. <laughs> An awesome game, they just disappear. Yeah. Well, that's how, like, you know, if you're remembered for making an awesome game, that's, like, the last thing you remember for. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be such a great tale, too. Just, like, like children are telling them years from now, yeah, your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my website will just say Mission Accomplished on it. That's <laughs> I'll just, like, totally wipe it out, and all, all it will say is Mission Accomplished, and that's, like, the last thing everyone, anyone will know. You should just have, like, a rocket there, too, so people think you're in the space. <laughs> oh, what, what will be the color scheme? Will it be black on white or white on black? I don't know. I, I think it will be random. Like, I just write, like, a little script. It'll just be totally random. Every time. Epilepsy? Right? So people will think I'm people still there. Updating it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tape down my F5 button and, like, take some strings and watch it. <laughs> So how many games have you actually finished? Uh, finished. Uh, I would say uh, as many as are listed on my website right now. Maybe um, around like eleven, I think. I think that's what I think that sounds right. Eleven or so. And then they, they all vary in size. So. And then let's do the number that makes it funny. How many projects have you ever started, approximately? Oh my God, have I ever started? Uh, well. Let's see. Carry the three. I'm trying. I'm gonna look through my folders right now because I, I have. I don't have the stuff from when I was like super young, but if I just look in like, I'm just gonna count the folders in my current uh, like flash projects folder, which is like where I keep all my current stuff. Uh, okay, so like, okay, so I'm gonna say like right now I have like 46, 46 <laughs> prototypes or lingering things of some kind, just in the past like two years. Um, and then game maker stuff. Game maker stuff is probably around like maybe fifteen or twenty started things that just never really went anywhere. Um, and then before that, if I count like multimedia fusion, it's probably going to be around like oh god, like if I, if I go all the way back to when I was a kid, I would say easily over one hundred. <laughs> wow, I don't think we've ever had somebody come on the radio and said that they have had that many. <laughs> they're like yeah usually you know I, you know started you know 50 projects or 70 a few hundred crazy yeah I, I'd, say, I'd say somewhere over 100 probably just, just north of 100 <laughs> is what I'd say but that, that that counts like everything that counts like when I was like 12 and I would start a game and then like a week later I'd be totally bored with it and never touch it again just because like I didn't have like the work ethic <laughs> to keep going yeah, I know what that feels like. Yeah, it's really tough. You have a project for every pixel in the avatar here. <laughs> nice. and, and every line of code in my latest project. Yeah, that's the project. Yeah. We have a white we have a whiteboard behind you there. That's pretty good, right? Like that's... Yeah, yeah. Well that's that's really nice actually. Hmm. <laughs> you have a whiteboard somewhere in the corner over there. I haven't touched it in a while. Mainly because I don't have any markers anymore. They all kind of disappear. <laughs> Just buy the next colorful set. I have a colored set over there of markers that I haven't started using yet because these markers are lasting too damn long. But anyway. So while we're talking about <laughs> being smart about programming, uh, what is oh, yeah? what is a huge tip that you would give to anybody starting out in, in game development or has been doing it for a while? Uh, let's see. I would say, like, I always, I always say uh, to, 
to game jam as much as you can and to to uh like to use game jams as a tool to like get better um so like so a lot of people just like they go to game jams like for the first couple times and it's just like a total like they have no idea what to expect and you know like like anything can happen like they might get something done or they might just like hit a wall right away and totally burn out or whatever but it's like if you if you can look at a game jam coming up in the future and you're like okay this game jam is like two months away uh and you think about like what can i do to be totally like a hundred percent prepared for this jam uh and like usually for me like if i if i do that kind of stuff which uh i try to do a lot it's like i'm basically just working on a like i'm like working on my on my code base so i'm just like okay like how can i make my like make how can I make my my framework essentially be as smooth as possible for this game jam? Because like if I'm trying to make a game in like 48 hours, I need to not hit any snags and not hit any walls or trip over myself doing something. So just like preparing for a game jam will smooth out so many like bugs and like hitches in my I guess like game making pipeline. And then when the game jam actually hits, I can make stuff so fast, and I'm so like I'm in such good mental shape from just even doing that work for like the couple of weeks, like leading up to the game jam, that it's just like the most awesome thing ever. And then that motivates me to keep going, and you know, like that's like that's pretty much like what happened for Offspring Fling. Is like I was in super good mental shape for the game jam, and I made like a lot of like a lot of the game that you see in Offspring Fling. Uh, like a lot of that was made at the game jam. Like, uh, like most of the art assets and like uh, all of like the game mechanics were almost made during like the just like just the uh, forty hours of the game jam. So, yeah, that's my tip. <laughs> game jams. I've actually never gone to a game jam in person. Uh, there's not a whole lot of um, in-person game jams up here in Minnesota. It, you know, like two thirds of the state is just. Winter tundra. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is ice. Pretty much. And the rest of it's also white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look out my window, pretty much all I see is white in a house and some trees. <laughs> white, white, house, tree, white, house, white. <laughs> okay. So, um... I don't know where I was going with this. So... I don't know. <laughs> I want to say something more about game jams, but I don't know where I'm going. Ian, you take it. Well, that's what I'm, I'm trying to think of something. But well, let me right. just expand. I'll, I'll expand on that on that tip a little bit. But it's like it, along the side, along the lines of what you were just saying about Minnesota is like if you if you like find other people around you that also want to make games and that's like a huge uh like motivator and uh i don't know like there's probably people in minnesota somewhere that like want to make games and there's some you can like start organizing some meetups or, or like whatever you know like just trying to if, if there's no community like start the community and then people will eventually find you that makes sense i think that's kind of what i was going for like a bunch of people who don't have a community do yeah it's i mean the answer is just to like try to start one and sometimes that doesn't work out and then unfortunately like sometimes the final answer is just like well 
you gotta move out of the middle of the forest. Uh, like, I grew oh, up I... in like a super rural area, so uh, when I finally like moved to a place with like a denser population and like there's other people that like make games and stuff, I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing. I thought you were about to say they just make offspring that will make games, and then <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, just yeah, that this go to that, you know. And if they don't want to make games, you fling them into it, gosh. Don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> If it doesn't work out for you, just have kids right away. <laughs> You're not going to do anything with your life, so just have offspring. <laughs> uh, you're part of the Indie Game House, right? Or is that Alec? Uh, so, there's multiple Indie Game Houses. Okay. Um, and the one I'm in is, I guess, uh, dubbed Indie Game House Arizona. And then Alec is in Indie Game House Vancouver. And then there's also Indie Game House uh, Cambridge, I think, uh, where, like, Terry and uh, Sophie and Increpair live. Okay. Then, wait a second, are you on the, since you're with Aaron Robinson and whatnot, right? So are you with uh, IndieGameHouse.com then, or is that one of the other houses? Uh, yeah, I'm in IndieGameHouse.com. Okay. Yeah, because for some strange reason, I'm like, wait, is it Kyle or Alex, but... There's multiple houses, so that would explain why I got confused. Yeah, they they have a they have their own uh, blog as well. They have like a Tumblr for their house. Mm -hmm. So uh, we need to update ours again because like we were like planning on starting like I guess like season two of our of our podcast, and we it's actually really hard to find a time where everyone is home and like able to like throw down a podcast because <laughs> usually everyone is like doing stuff or like working on their project or like you know, out somewhere and working on their stuff, or I don't even know. It's it's way crazier than I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even doing this sometimes gets a bit, like, stressful. It's just, you know, an hour or two every other weekend, but during the holiday season, it gets crazy, and it's like, ah, I can't do yeah. this. Hi hiatus time. So, what do you guys talk about in your um, uh, podcast? Uh, so far, it's just been pretty much uh, like I, I guess just like what we're what, what games we're playing and what we're doing, like what we're working on, and just sort of like anything that's just happening in our lives that like is happening currently. Like we've talked a lot about uh, like I feel like we, we talk about green light a lot, like the Steam green light stuff, because that that's like a, a big factor in like our ability to basically like sustain ourselves as indie developers like steam is a huge portion of my income so like if it if this like green light stuff makes it easier or harder to get on steam that's a big that's a big like effect on my life and so we talk about that kind of stuff we talk about games that we're playing so just like any thoughts about games and like their design or any that kind of stuff it, it's it's more of like a general like it's just as if we were having like a conversation with each other and we we're just talking about whatever was going on in our lives um, I believe it's uh, Infinite Ammo that was working on podcast a while back, and I listened to probably five of those. You know, put it in while I'm ignoring my teacher at school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just listen to that, and they mostly get conversations. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how many podcasts have you guys done so far? Uh, we've only done two or three right now. Uh. We have one episode that we are going to release later. Um, 
But yeah, we've only done a couple. Um, we were we were mostly just feeling it out last year to see if it was like a thing that people would listen to or would or if we would be able to do a lot. Um, but yeah, we want to we want to buckle down and start doing it way more often. But it's just like really hard when everyone's schedule is so weird. So. <laughs> so uh, is season three going to be a reality TV show then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, if we can get season two like stable with like a uh, like a you know a, a reoccurring if we if we actually had a schedule of like oh every every Monday or whatever we'll do a podcast or whatever uh, and then like yeah maybe we'll step it up to uh, we'll just put cameras everywhere in the house and then have like weird competitions where we kick somebody out. <laughs> <laughs> Getting voted out of the house. Yeah, you could you could introduce a uh, beginning programmer and see how long it takes for you to get pissed off at them before you kick them out. <laughs> Welcoming the intern. Yeah, well, actually, like one of the things we've talked about, and not just specifically to like any game house, was is like uh, some sort of like apprenticeship, I guess. You know, it's like it's like uh, it's like certain professions when you're like trying to learn a certain profession. That's like very like, like nuanced and it's like crafty or whatever. It's like usually they have like uh, apprenticeships, and so it's like why don't we do that for games? So it's like I don't know. We could we could like take a few students or whatever from the local universities and just have them like do indie stuff with us for like a day a week or something like that, and see how that works out. That's pretty cool. Um, I, a comp- or contest that we've been wanting to do for a long time at Andy Function is find a developer that, you know, once they released a big game, they're, you know, had some cooldown time, uh, have a contest where um, basically you have a month to create a prototype for a game, and whoever makes the best prototype with the best, you know, mechanics, story, gameplay, all that stuff gets chosen by this developer and they get to work with the developer on the game. I thought that would be a pretty cool idea, but, you know, you got to be, be able to make sure that you can find a developer that's interested and then figure out how everything's going to work and all that stuff. Yeah. So, that, that kind of yeah. made me think of that. But, hmm. that, that would be pretty sweet. Hey, Ian, want to move to Arizona? Sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. So do you guys have like a poster or anything on your house saying indie game house or is it just what do you mean like do you have anything on your house or like any decorations in your house oh on the house by? itself yeah uh no not really i mean <laughs> we're just like they don't yeah. want people to find them that's that's really what yeah, you gotta be stealth about it no yeah our house is just a normal house uh on the outside yeah on the outside the i think i think inside. like I don't, know, I don't know, it's kind of weird, because, like, I don't know what our neighbors think of us, it's just, like, none of us really, like, leave the house that much, because we all work from home, and then, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I used to live in a, I used to live in another house in Arizona, uh, with some other, with the people I was working on a snapshot with, and it was kind of weird, because we were all, like, a group of, like, 20-somethings living in this, like, pretty large house, and in, in this, like, super suburban area, where it was just all all like families like all like perfect families with like uh mom and dad and two kids and an suv that was like everyone everyone else in the neighborhood was that was that image and we were like this group of 20 something kids making a video game and so like these kids would just like ride their bicycles by our house 
and they would like stop and look at our house. And then uh, sometimes if we were outside, they would be like, Hey, do you guys make video games? <laughs> like, yeah. And then they would like, then they would like talk to their friends and then like ride their bikes away really fast. Like, I don't know why, but yeah, we like our house became the house that makes video games and all the kids would ride by it and then like look at it and then like right away if we, if we like, we, I guess, quote unquote, caught them looking at our house. It was like, it's so, it so weird. I'm not sure how I would react to that. It'd be kind of cool, but it'd be like, oh, hi. What's your name? <laughs> Awkward. Uh, did any of them, like, ever approach you and start talking about how they could get into it? Oh, I mean, as, like, making games goes? Uh, not really. I mean, these kids were super young. They were probably, like, just, like, uh, just, like, playing games and not really thinking about Making them, I guess. Uh, They're probably playing their Call of Duty Black Ops or whatever, and thinking that we make Call of Duty or something like that. That's usually how as with kids. Anyone under the age of 10 just like assumes that I make Call of Duty Black Ops, I think. (laughs) Ah, That's pretty sad. How do you you feel about mainstream games or the way that they're going? How do I feel about mainstream games? Yeah. Because most of them are Uh, shooters now. Well, what were you going to say? What was that? Uh, what, what, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying that it kind of bugs me how they're all shooters. and You know, mainstream games are just really boring. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like the most popular ones are FPS, right? And like, I actually, I, I feel like uh, consoles have done damage to the FPS as like a genre. Um, like, I think, I think the FPS has gone backwards as far as like in terms of like where I would have liked it to gone. Like, cause I, I super was into like Quake and Unreal Tournament and like Twitch shooters and stuff. And so, and I, I still play Unreal Tournament 2004. Like that's like my zone out game or I just like, I just launched Unreal Tournament and I load up a map with like 10 godlike bots and I just like play for like 10 minutes. Um, that's like my, my, like my zone out activity, but when consoles came out and FPS became popular on consoles, I felt really disappointed because it just seemed like as a result of having to use a controller, everything got slower and, uh, like dumber. So, uh, I kind of feel like consoles ruined FPS games. So I kind of hate them for that. Uh, but I don't think all games, like not every mainstream game is, uh, like a shooter. Like I played Devil May Cry, the new Devil May Cry. And I thought that was pretty fun. Except for like the super long cutscenes and, and like the, I don't know, like some like some of the weird sort of like AAA design choices, I guess that go into it. it um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely I, I feel not as interested as I used to in following. I guess like just following the like the the big like the mainstream game scene uh, and yeah, I, I don't I don't like have too much of like a strong opinion of like oh they suck or oh they're they're awesome it's just like if if a game i like comes along and it doesn't really matter to me if it's mainstream or indie it's just like a game that i like so it's pretty much all there is to it i'm trying to remember the last time i actually bought a mainstream game like brand new (laughs) because i i know i've been buying some older games from the 90s and early 2000s you know like Mm -hmm. just for my collection like i just got uh, Final Fantasy 4 for the Game Boy. Nice. And, yeah, I don't 
remember the last time I bought like a brand new game. Yeah. Well, I, I bought Devil May Cry, and I, I, before that, I bought uh, Borderlands 2. Oh, yeah, that was probably the last one that I bought. I got some of those as gifts, I guess, is what it was, but um, mm-hmm. mostly just, yeah. It's mostly if I'm buying a game, it's an indie game, and that's if I'm even, you know, playing games much anymore. It's kind of sad at this point. Yeah. Most of my game playing is just like, oh, I'm on Game Jolt or somewhere, and I just kind of play some random indie game for a tiny bit of time, like some free game, though, not a too often purchase one. Sure. So uh, before we wrap this up, uh, let's try jumping into our debate, which I almost forgot about. Uh, Indie Radio is now going to be doing debates uh, every broadcast, and uh, you can give ideas. Yep, we did this towards the beginning of Indie Radio, but they kind of disappeared because we didn't have any ideas, and we're still too new to this whole business thing to think about. Hey, let's ask people what we should do for debates. We kind of just expect <laughs> ourselves to come up with them. So uh, the debate today is who do you truly design your game for do you design your game for yourself you know for your own personal interest or do you design it in favor of the player so uh kyle who do you design the game for uh well i i would say that uh it's i I, yeah i think it's 90 percent me and 10 percent other people (laughs) Uh, like if I, I would definitely try to just make the, like my games fun for myself and, uh, it's, it's kind of a balancing act to make like a really good game, I think. Uh, and like my first couple of games that I made, I had no idea how other people would be playing them. Like if you play, if you play Bones Out the Game, it is like the most stupidly hard game, uh, for like the dumbest reasons. And it's just because I wanted it to be challenging to myself. And I had no idea that that would mean that it would be nearly impossible for other people to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had I, I had to like I have to make my game fun for me, but then I have to then I have to make sure that at least other people uh, at le- like it, 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 the game at least treats other people fairly. I guess is the good way to put it. Um, like I, I want the game to be fun to me, but fair for other people, so that they can have the same fun that I have with it. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But you, Ian? No, I'm just going um, to choose the opposite well, of you. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> I haven't really been working on games. So I'm trying to... Uh, I guess what I meant jam the last time. So I think it was more um, recently, if I'm making a game, it's partly just... Uh, it's more so for myself because it's, I think, partly just, oh, can I finish this as part of the whole thing? Like, Will I get distracted and have some other idea or something and go off and do that? Or will I really go all the way through with the game? So to a certain extent, it's kind of, for my own personal, it, it kind of helps keep me um, from, I don't know, getting depressed or other things like that if I can make the game. So it's more for my own personal benefit as opposed to really worrying as much about what people think of it. And I'm more of like I'm more worried about keeping up my own standards of quality, like my expectations, and not letting myself down more so than other people with it. So I think, for the most part, me. But obviously, I still care about whether or not people will be able to uh, understand how to play it and go along with that and whatnot, or if it'll be too weird and out there and difficult and whatnot. But uh, yeah. Well, in real life, I do probably almost completely make it for myself, just because. You know, you gotta make a game that you enjoy. You gotta make what you want. It's it's your game, you know? You don't just draw pictures that you don't like. You don't write stories <laughs> that you don't like. Why would you make a game that you don't like? 
But uh, for the sake of the radio, let's uh, play devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I, you know, like making games for my players because who wants? Because I, I want to be famous, you know. I, I want games that people enjoy. So why would I make a game that nobody likes? Because nobody would ever play my game. It would just be a, a game for myself, riding on my hard drive that I'm never going to play. You know, I made it so people can play the game. You know? You know, get featured on the front page of Newgrounds, and this is a really retarded argument. But... Yeah. No. <laughs> no, it, it's like... Uh... I think there's there's a decent argument for against making games that that you would play right, and it's like uh, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it's something along the lines of like uh, your games won't be like as diverse if you're only making games that you like or make games that you want to play, and I think that's definitely true uh, for me at least. But like at least at this point in my game making career, I don't really care that much if I make platformers all the time because that's what it's, I just really like platformers, so I'm just going to make platformers, right? But uh, I think that if eventually, if I want to make something really interesting or like really, uh, I don't know, like I think it's really interesting, it's I'm gonna have to break out of my comfort zone and try to make something that I don't think I will like really like right away, and then try to form it into something that I like. You know, mm-hmm. I was actually about to bring up that point. Isn't that the uh, there was the uh, it was that jam, jam that that like wasn't. Um, Oh god, I can't remember his name yeah, now. Was it Rami yeah. or someone just did like was part of the uh, was hosting a jam where it's the whole uh, thing of choose a genre of type of game that you don't like and try and make that and that kind of works for the old. You're not really making the game for yourself. You're trying to kind of go off with this other type of game, but make it more that you can enjoy or just make fun of that type of genre. So that yeah, it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that kind of works for that whole thing. There's you're not making the game for yourself really, so it's. Yeah, it was like making make a game in, in a genre that you hate, which like I don't. <laughs> I remember like when I read that, I was like, I don't really hate any genres. Like I don't, I don't play certain genres because I don't really enjoy them, but I don't hate any. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think part of the whole thing with indie games is, as opposed to commercial games, because it's a small group of people or one person, you can focus more on what you want to do with the game. So it, it kind of the whole point of indie games is that you're making the game you want to make or the game you want to play because if you're doing commercial games it's no what's going to sell so you care about what how many players you can get and whatnot how much the players are going to enjoy the game and put money into it but um it, it's more with any games it's like no we're making this game to express ourselves or to just enjoy it not oh let's make a game that's going to sell or something yeah for sure like i i think that's like the big difference when i play like when i play like a really good indie game it feels way different than a game that's like super well reviewed in like the mainstream sort of triple a space because it's like i definitely feel when i like when i play like through devil may cry there are definitely things in there that are like it's like also like the batman like arkham asylum or arkham oh, city games awesome. there are definitely things in those games where i just feel like they're watered down for the sake of like oh like you know video game audiences are proven to like this stuff, so we're going to do lots of this stuff. And it doesn't really feel like it's interesting or, like, super honest, I guess. Like, when I play an indie game by, like, a small team, and it's really, really good, and it's really interesting, it, it feels like a direct line of communication from, from like, that developer to me. And it's like, they're trying to say something to this game, and I'm, like, receiving the message and playing through their game and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, 
a bigger game but like a huge team that message is more like watered down and filtered through like a bunch of people and marketing and whatever other crap the game probably had to go through to get to market and so it doesn't really feel like uh the same experience mm-hmm. um some of the older mainstream games like from the 90s and stuff um did have like i hmm. well my favorite game ever is final fantasy 6 for the super nintendo Sure. And uh, I don't know that that game left a really lasting impression on me. And so have a few other older games. I can't really think of any right now, but you know, for the PS One, you know, before everything exploded. And once again, I have no idea where I'm going with anything. He's <laughs> got go with the flow, man. It's gonna be terrible, terrible when I get my license. I'm gonna like go driving. And, <laughs> gonna end up in the middle of nowhere and be like i don't know where i'm going <sighs> or, or you do the whole thing if you get there and then you're like yeah why did i come here again yeah That's it's like really that. bad to do yeah when you when you get when you get up to the, go to the kitchen to get something out of the fridge it's like wait what why is i here <laughs> except that like, times like that. that that happens a lot and then i also have like sometimes even worse i'll be like going like oh i have to go downstairs and i'm like trying to go off to do laundry or something and i end up like looking in the fridge down there or something and like a frozen stuff it's just really bad but it's like no i end up going down and playing like some game or something instead of going and actually doing what i meant to in a completely different room of the house mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah the other day i came home i'm like i am going to sit down and finish this prototype for a game. And then I looked at my notebook and I'm like, whoa, I haven't written a story in a while. And then I looked at my guitar and I'm like, mm. And then I ended up playing guitar for like five hours. <laughs> yeah, that's why I keep wasting my programming time. All right, um, maybe we should get a little more back on topic yeah. of the uh, debate. So. Ah, uh, yes, the debate. <laughs> Trying to remember exactly what the debate was about, right? Oh, making a game for you or okay, yeah. I, I, as lame as it sounds, I feel like the ultimate uh, like answer for me is just finding the balance between like not compromising my vision, my yeah, like my vision too much for the sake of the player, and like it. That kind of stuff always comes down to like the difficulty of the game for me. It's like oh, uh, like you know, if players are having a hard time like getting past this level but i don't really feel like i want to make the game easier because like it's fun for me and then it's like this <laughs> challenge of like you know making sure that people can play through the game without feeling like they're in like a i don't know without feeling like the game is totally unfair to them uh but not compromising the vision of the game too much that's always like the biggest struggle for me i would know nothing about making difficult games <laughs> right <laughs> Now, my games, I'd have to say stress people out more than anything. Like, I, I received a death <laughs> threat for one of them. That, that was wow, crazy. man, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, um, Tin Can 2, you talking about then? Or? Yeah, so going off of that, I would have to say that I make it for myself, because, you know, <laughs> obviously, I don't know. But at the same time, I... Like, my goal going into that game, like, I had a weird mindset, and I wanted to see people get pissed off, like, while they're playing. So, technically, I was making it for the players to get pissed off. Oh, yeah. But for my own personal benefit in so, whatever. Kind of depends on how you're interpreting the for the players. Because 
for is it for the player's benefit or are you just like with the players in mind it's like it's it's either who do you have in mind or who you benefit it's like two different things that you can kind of argue for because you might be making it for your benefit but still you're making it for the players just not for the benefit make a game that's like password protected and then you would be the only one that could play it so <laughs> it would only be for you there. no no i made this for the players they just have to get the right code damn it <sighs> Yeah, they have to earn this game. <laughs> and then it's the it's best free, game ever. Bro. It's the best game ever. It is so good that you die. You, you <laughs> die and go to heaven. When you wow. It is that amazing. Your life is complete. And then you go off and live in the mountains and have your sights set so that the color changes every day. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I like this idea. <laughs> What would be some more advantages that aren't all fame and fortune uh, in... <laughs> what? What'd you laugh? I, just, I don't know. It just sounds funny to me. Oh, okay. I thought I mispronunciated something or said the wrong word. No, no, no. You're all good. That's fame and fortune just sounded funny to me. So, <laughs> so fame and fortune... Uh, fortune? Jeez. Oh, uh, in designing it for the player. So what would be some other benefits other than fame and fortune? Well, I don't think that fame or fortune necessarily is, a, is like, guaranteed from making games for the player, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, I don't know, it's, there's a, there's a saying where it's, like, if you try to please everybody, you'll please nobody. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I kind of feel like if you focus too much on your players, then you end up with, like, a really watered-down, uh, like, experience that won't stand out. You know, like, a lot of... I feel like uh, if you take somebody like Edmund, for example, it's like his work really stands out because he's so uncompromising about it. Like, you know, like Binding of Isaac is totally twisted and disgusting most of the time. And it's just like, that's what he just wanted to do. Um, and like, I think if that were to be passed through a filter of like, oh, well, we want to like make sure that all players enjoy this game and not just people that can handle like offensive imagery and like messages right mm -hmm. then it would be like a totally uninteresting game that like probably would not be as huge as uh what binding of isaac is today so yeah i don't know like it's really hard to say if fame and fortune or like just like really, like it's really hard to say if a popular game will come from trying to please like the biggest audience because that's, uh, that's like really hard to do that's definitely the mindset for somebody who's trying to aim for their players so you know, yeah, you yeah. want it to reach the mass market. You want to, yeah, get it. So. Yeah, that, that's like the goal. It's like it's like we want this to be a mass market game that can be played by anybody. So, yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's lots of games that I feel are like that. Honestly, like I'm like if you go like congregate, like the most popular games are like the tower defense ones that kind of have like the most unoffensive possible art treatment. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, we're gonna like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean like to shit on this game, but it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have like uh, it's gonna be tower defense, but you pop balloons, yeah. You know, like you don't you don't kill anybody, you don't do anything, you don't like blow anything up, you just pop balloons, and I, that that seems to work pretty good for them. So you know, like I'm not gonna criticize, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, maybe maybe that's an argument for uh, the other side of it, or maybe the developers of that game just really really wanted to pop balloons. They had a balloon fetish. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being obsessed with that in middle school. Like, my entire class would just sit in a 
row and in the computer lab, and every one of us would be playing and seeing who could get the farthest. The balloon tower defense. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, that's like. That's a good point, right? Is that like you're sitting there in school playing it because like you, you could that game is not gonna set off any alarms for like teachers to be like, uh, what the hell are you playing? Like, <laughs> why is there? Because there's no blood, there's no like anything offensive about it. So you can sit there. I just want like I think when I was in school, I used to play like uh like lifesavers miniature golf because <laughs> that was like one of the few games that was not blocked on our network. So I keep being selfish and playing my own games because they're not blocked. But it's really ironic because they left that website of mine unblocked, but they blocked my portfolio. That so, that's really interesting. Like, I never even thought, like, if I knew how to make Flash games when I was, like, in high school and stuff, I'd be totally just, I'd be running my own portal for, like, my friends to play games on. <laughs> yeah, my portal got blocked. Then again, my portal was my personal website. And it's really sad, so okay? So, if you go to any website on the internet that's blocked at my school, you can put in the, the override username and password, including porn sites. But my site, since it's under admin block, you cannot access it if you have the username and password. Because <laughs> any kid with the username and password can get on a porn site, but not my own portfolio. Wow. Logic right there. That's America for you folks. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, it... I even bought a second domain name, and it only took her a week to find that. So... <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, she completely blocked the IP. Jeez. Oh, so well, there's always the other option if you just have some of those games on your pen drive, especially if they're web games, you can just open the file in your browser, mm -hmm. and that looks like you're just oh on some site that's no big deal and everything, but actually. You're off over there, um, oh, what's it called? You're, you're off, you know, playing your game off the flash drive, so it could be one that's blocked or something somewhere, but no big deal. <laughs> so, Kyle, um, you have had a few different websites. You had, um, is it pronounced Exerus? It is. Okay, yes, I got it. <laughs> So Actually, you're, you're the first person to say it right the first time. Yes. <laughs> you win at life. Mission accomplished. Off to the moon. <laughs> Don't forget to set the website first. <sighs> All right. So, um, why did you switch websites from uh, Exorus to uh, Capov? Um, it's just sort of like rebranding myself, I guess. Um, because. I, I don't know, it, it's like uh, my internet alias for like the longest time was Exorus, and so that was like just how I was known on the internet, and so that was my blog for a while, and then um, then I had just like straight up like kylepulver.com, which was sort of like, I made that in college as my portfolio, right, because I was like, that was the version of Kyle where he was like, oh, I'm going to go get a job at a design firm, or like I'm going to go get a job at like a big company, so I got to have like a good portfolio, mm -hmm. and then... Uh, that eventually just, you know, didn't happen for various reasons, but, uh, people started calling me K-Pulp and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I found the domain name was not bought. I was like, holy crap, I can get like a five letter domain name. It's K-Pulp. It's amazing. And so I just bought it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. So then I just switched all of, I just like, I'm just switching all of my stuff over to K-Pulp. Um, just because like, it's like, I'm more comfortable using my real name at this point. 
uh like you know back when i was a kid on the internet i was just like i'm not gonna use my real name like some weird creepers are gonna help me down right <laughs> uh so yeah I, it's just like i'm more comfortable using my real name and i started i i eventually when i started selling offspring fling i i'm like doing it under the company kpolv um and so yeah that it just seemed like a catchy short name to have so i started just rebranding myself as that and in a couple of years we'll start giving you a social security number because you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just start using that everywhere. <laughs> That'll be how I'm identified. Can't recognize That'll those be the IP address, right? <laughs> the IP address for your website will be your social security? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. No, but the, the name thing is, I, I don't know, is that worth mentioning? that? Because uh, I feel like that's just kind of a thing that um, a lot of people will do. It's like when they start off, they're kind of more nervous about it, so they're kind of like, all right, I'm going to go by an alias. But then after a while, it's kind of like, no, this is more like who I really am now, so I might as well use my real name. And, I don't know, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it kind of came from the fact of, like, it, it was like, I didn't want to use my real name on the internet, and, like, I wanted to kind of be somebody else on the internet, just because I was, like, like a 12-year-old kid, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I don't want to be a 12-year-old kid on the internet. Like, it's like a <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, it was just, like, a way to just, like, totally free myself from being 12-year-old Kyle Pulver and just being, like, extras on the internet, right? So, yeah, eventually, I was like, yeah, I should probably start using my real name now because I feel kind of dumb using my alias now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say my alias. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, well, basically, it goes back to lego.com. So I signed up for lego.com when I was, like, seven years old, and they are like, don't use your real name. So I'm like, yeah. I'm going to become a superhero. I'll be Brett Boy. <laughs> and then that was taken, so I had to be Brett Boy 129 and, um, and, yeah. and then when I went to go buy a domain name, I'm like, do I really want to be known as Brett Boy when I'm, like, 35 years old? <laughs> Creepy thing, well, though. yeah. I don't know, because... I guess I still kind of am wits, but, like, that that kind of came from, like, this long thing of, like, originally I was trying to, like, no, I want to be, you know, have a company and everything that I found. And so I, um, and so, so I was, like, trying to come up with a name for that. And then originally I, like, abbreviated, like, whatchamacallit or something, and somehow I ended up with, like, W-I-T-S from that. And then I tried to make that into an acronym for all these other things. And so that ended up being this whole thing. And I'm like, you know, I'll just refer to myself as wits for my alias on things. And... Yeah. Kind of regret it now, but oh well. <laughs> I don't know. I think internet aliases are super cool sometimes. Like, I like how, like, in the, uh, in certain internet communities, like, aliases are still, like, king. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like in, like, the, uh, the speedrunning community. It's like everybody is just known as their alias, and, like, nobody ever uses real names. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's something kind of cool about that, where it's just like, nobody, like, nobody uses real names, it's, like, taboo, everyone just uses, like, like, their aliases and stuff, and then, like, the same in, like, the professional, like, esports scene, where it's, like, everybody's just known as their alias, like, it's, it's like, E.G. Idra and E.G. Huckin or whatever, right, it's not, like, Greg Fields and, you know, whatever, it's something cool about it sometimes. I, I think it was really cool, it's kind of a combination, too, where you have, like, when you sign up, you don't know anyone by the real name because they're all using aliases, but then as you, like, get to know people and they trust you enough, then you kind of, like, oh, you get their real name, and so it's kind of, uh, I don't know how, it's kind of like a weird secret society yeah, thing no, going on. Funny. It's like, oh, if you get far enough in, 
to the uh, operation. Then you start to yeah. find out who people really are, yeah. how old they are and everything. It's kind of... <laughs> and it might be more of a progression of the internet, you know? People have noticed that there's not that many, you know, internet crimes where people go up to their house and kill them, you know? And there's not that much of that anymore. People have more trust in the internet, especially with Facebook and social networks where you do put your real name. So I think people are just more comfortable with the internet. So they don't necessarily have to make an Elias anymore. And it might just yeah. be because, you know, creativity is kind of be dripped out of the current generation. You <laughs> see come up with something else. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Well, I think that's... I'm going to blame that on public education in the U.S. <laughs> and then we get back to our conversation with Steve Swink interviewing... Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. 31. <laughs> well, but seriously, because they're just like, oh, just repeat the same thing again and again. And then they wonder why so many students seem to struggle with math. And yet it's because... And science, too, I guess a lot of people. But more so math, it's, I think, because... Unlike all the other subjects where it's, oh, just remember this for almost, like, everything that you do in it. With math, it's like, no, you can't just, you have to remember the methods. You don't remember, it's more about being creative in terms of, like, to quickly solve an equation. It's a lot like programming because you're like, oh, I have to come up with, you know, some way to get from whatever they give you to the answer. And there's different ways to do it. Mm. So it's, it's kind of more like that. But then you kind of, you're thinking creatively to do it. Which is how I think programming is just such a great art is because it's just problem solving, basically. You have a goal in mind and you have different ways you can do it. So you have to think of like the most effective way you can. And sometimes that's why uh, if you look at other people's code, which is a great thing to do if you're trying to learn how to program, it's really inspiring sometimes to see the things that they were able to come up with to solve various problems. Because it's like it's not the direct route that you just instantly would think of, but it works. And, I don't know, it's really mind-blowing sometimes. Yeah, like, I think as far as, like, math goes, I think the biggest problem, and this is what I witnessed when I was in high school, and uh, mostly high school, I guess, it was uh, people have no idea how math affects them until it's, like, until they're way out of school. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, oh, I should have paid attention. Because it's, like, and it's really hard to convince a bunch of high schoolers that this uh, freaking, like, you know, quadratic formula is going to do all this stuff. And uh, I got super into math and physics when I was in high school just because I was able, I, I went home and I opened up like multimedia fusion and I started programming the stuff that we were learning. And so I, I could like see, I could actually like visualize yeah, it's more what we were learning. When you're yeah, and it, it was awesome. It, so. Yeah, and so I got super interested in physics and like math at the time because I could go home and be like, oh my God, if I do like sign... <laughs> If I if I take like <laughs> if I take this number and multiply it by sine of an angle, that gives me this that gives me how much it moves in the x direction, and then the cosine. Like, that was like mind blowing to me. <laughs> exactly, and and that got me super interested. And like no other person in my high school like had that experience because they didn't know how to program or they didn't know how to or they didn't even have access to computers. So that was like you know that was back in like the early two thousands, and like not every home had a computer in it, and not everyone had internet access, and so it was a pretty rare thing. Um, and then in college, when I got to college, I went to an engineering school. And like the first week, I was just like, wow, everything I learned in high school is dumb. And I just had my mind blown in like the first week of engineering, like math and engineering physics. <laughs> like, So yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I really wanted to get into physics. So I took advanced physics and that was the dumbest class I've ever taken. 
Like, seriously, <laughs> halfway through the year, we were still studying Newton's laws. I'm like, this is not advanced. I learned more in sixth grade physics than I did in this class. <laughs> Once again, American education. <laughs> I think part of the other problem is um, it's not just that the way that they're teaching, but it's also they rely so heavily on grades, which, I mean, this isn't obviously just America. I mean, a lot of these problems are going to carry across to other places, like, especially like grades. But um, I just it's not really at all a uh, very valid indicator of how intelligent or talented someone is. And so when it comes to things like that and like, oh, college education being so important when it comes to getting a job, yes, it makes sense to go off and get educated in college, but people are just doing that to get a job now. And part of the thing with that is it's based off, oh, you have just you know, a few grades and everything for the semester. And then that just determines, oh, whether or not you're going to pass the course and other things like that. But the thing is, the grades in many cases, especially in homework and things, it's just busy work. So it's really just a case of, did you bother doing it? And if you really going out and doing extracurricular activities, then you're not going to have nearly as much time to work on that. And so it's kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't make much sense to be grading people based on whether or not they have lives, basically. <laughs> so it, it's just kind of, I don't know, that really bothers me because a lot of the time, um, I, I'll either I focus specifically more on the schoolwork, in which case, oh, there goes my social life and being able to program and other things a lot. And then I'll get good grades, but then I get kind of just depressed because I'm not making things, and that's mm -hmm. just, oh, God. But then when I go off and start making things again, I get, like, so into it that I keep really fucking up my time management. So that's, like, great. So now how do I make time to get in and get good grades so that I don't, you know, fail the course or something because I'm being a dumbass? <laughs> yeah, yeah, somebody was working on a chemistry assignment the other day, and they had a copy over the entire periodic table of elements this piece of paper and like it was the boxes were maybe an inch by an inch and they had to cram like five or six different things in there for every single element and i'm like that is not homework that is called child labor <laughs> <laughs> i mean there is yeah. absolutely no educational purpose in, in that other than having you copied over are you gonna memorize it no are you gonna remember it no you could just well, like you would me memorize it if you cared about it right like if you if because copying stuff over actually is a pretty... Uh, yeah, it, it'll get better in your brain, but part of the yeah. thing is, it's still like a, few it's a matter of whether or not you care about it. And if yeah. you do care about it, they don't have to assign they don't have to assign as much work. If they assign the work, like, they could give you optional work for, like, oh, do this, because, oh, that'll help you get in your head. But, like, if you don't want to do it anyways, or more importantly, if you don't need to, to still be able to... Like, you already know this stuff. For someone like math... For, for people like me, it's more just like, oh, here, have this work and do this. And sometimes it's like, oh, I really should because we're learning something that's new. I haven't done it all. But a lot of the time it's like, even if it's not new, I know it from programming already. So when you have me go off and try to do this and you want me to show all the work and everything, it's not really helping me at all. It's just kind of wasting my time. So things like that, I think it's more of a case of people who are motivated by themselves or the parents or whatever to do it. They're going to do it whether or not it's mandatory, but... Or they'll do something so that they can pass the course. But it's not really helping them if you just give them work that is whether or not they pass the course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the root the root of it is, is like, uh, getting them to care about it. And that's, like, what I was talking about with, like, the math and things stuff for me. It's, like, I started to care about it way more when I saw how it directly applies to me. And so, especially with chemistry, like, when I, when I, when I, like, when I took chemistry, 
I was just like, I cannot visualize any of this because it's like we're talking about like molecules and stuff, like atoms changing electrons. It's like I have no idea what's happening. Like, but for physics, I could actually visualize like, oh, this block is moving at you know ten meters a second and it's going to hit this thing. So that's like that was a way easier for me to handle. Yeah, physics and obviously physics are a huge things. Huge things are a huge <laughs> thing in video games. Because the majority of the games out there, you have a player that moves around the world and interacts with it, so you have to have physics, and especially when you're throwing your children around. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, of, yeah, definitely. Physics there. See, that's the practical application that they don't tell you about in school. Throwing children. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, they just start, if, they, if they start teaching programming, like, super early, just, like, super basic, like, programming in, like, some elementary school level, then that would actually help a lot of people out. Yeah, well, the part of it is still, like, with the other things, you need the motivation, and that's the thing I think a lot of people will lack. Is like, even if they're like, oh, I want to make games, they don't set out to do it, or they don't set up programming or making websites or stuff like that, mm-hmm. because it seems too far out of reach, and it doesn't help that uh, it seems like our society kind of gives off that impression that, oh, you have to be, you know, however old, or, like, wait until high school when you have classes for it or college. And so it's just kind of, if it were at least, like, an option, like, oh, you can take programming in elementary or middle school or something and things like that because it is an art that would just help so much because yeah. that, that helps show you it's it helps you with the whole thing of understanding how to approach problems yourself and that is something that when you kind of put it that way it's kind of clear how it's going to be important in life if you can figure out how to solve your own problems as opposed to just repeating what you've been told a thousand times right yeah we need to have more young Indie developers make some really awesome games. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go find some like five year old off the street and be like, you, you're gonna make games. And he'll run home and yeah. be like, Mom <laughs> Yeah, yeah he'll run home and yeah, the police will show up at your house and be like, Hey, did you yell at this five year old kid? <laughs> I was just trying to I did not him yell at him, I just politely <laughs> told him. <laughs> Hold on, you know, just come down to my basement and we'll make some <laughs> Call of Duty games. Yeah, we'll make something, all right. Anyways. Oh, my. Well, once again, we're really <laughs> far away from the debate. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, Kyle, before we wrap this up? It's been about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm all good. We talked about a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff, so. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Kyle. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to do the credits, and uh, you can leave during them if you'd like, or you can stick around and talk to us for a few minutes afterwards. Okay, uh, yeah, unfortunately I have to run right now, so... Alright, well, catch you later, Kyle. Yep. yep. Thanks again. Yep. My pleasure. See you guys later. And the music's not playing. Lovely. Thank you for listening to broadcast number 36 of Indie Radio. This broadcast was broadcasted live with 1,000 mics and was recorded using Audacity. 
All music was found on Newgrounds, coming from various artists under the Creative Commons license. Thank you again for listening in, and we hope to have you be a part of the next broadcast, which is going to be February, or not February, but March 2nd, 2013, right before Ludum Dare number 26. Have a good weekend.